We greet you this evening in the name of Jesus. And I think it's a privilege to be here with you. This afternoon I was thinking of the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The Brotherhood's role in church discipline, that's what's been assigned to me. Probably about 15, 16 months ago, I was sitting in a series of meetings and the Spirit of God spoke. And I knew what I needed to do. I needed to go and apologize to a brother because I had not engaged him as I should have as a pastor. And so I do not stand before you as one that has either all the answers or has performed in perfection in my ministry or otherwise. And I also understand that I may approach this a bit differently than you would. But I would like to share four things with you this evening. Number one, discipline is of God. Number two, rightful church discipline is entering into discipline with God. Number three, discipline is the responsibility of the entire congregation. And number four, discipline begins with the brotherly address. How many of you believe tonight that discipline is of God? Do you believe that? And I believe it is imperative that we do believe that if we are going to rightfully discipline in our churches. Discipline is of God. The Apostle Paul said, but when ye were judged, when we are judged, excuse me, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. When we are judged, we are chastened of whom? The Lord. To what purpose? And the purpose is that we do not be, that we are not judged with the world. You see, discipline has a purpose. There's a reason. And let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, classic passage of scripture that if you're 
if you're considering that dis discipline is of God, then this is a likely place that you would go. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of whom? The Lord. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, shall we not, not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them who are exercised thereby. How many of you fathers ever chastened your children or disciplined them? To what purpose? For what purpose? I suspect in the in the incident in the moment, you may not have always thought about it, but the purpose of parental discipline is to achieve a desired end, right? You have a goal in mind. You have something that you want your children to be when they are no longer under your control, and therefore you discipline them now in order to achieve in them something you want in the future. <coughs> Excuse me. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, by divine inspiration, said that's how it is with God. God disciplines his children to bring about in their lives his desired end, that they be partakers of his holiness. Let's go on to the book of Revelation. I'm going to read this introduction because I may come back and reference this later in the message. Chapter 1 and verse 18. <clears throat> I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Who is speaking? Who is speaking? You need not fear to answer. <laughs> Jesus is speaking. Look at the description prior to this that I'm not going to read, but you know, you know the answer to that 
question, Jesus is speaking. <coughs> Excuse me. And then in verse 20, he says, the mystery, and there, were, there are three entities here. It is Jesus Christ, and there were the seven candlesticks, golden candlesticks, and there were the seven stars. And then Jesus interprets this. He says, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So Jesus interprets this. He says, the seven candlesticks are seven churches, the seven churches. And he said, the seven stars are the angels of the churches. How many of you pastors would tell me what the angels of the churches are? Yes, it is widely, I believe it's widely understood that when Jesus says that the seven stars are the seven angels, and then each, each succeeding church that he addresses, he addresses his address to the angel of the church of. Okay, we'll, we'll leave that. Now, I'm going to pick out verses in the next two chapters. What are we looking at? And I understand that I, I my, for some reason, my tendency is to look at the ministering brethren that are sitting in front of me. <laughs> um, uh, and I understand, and bear with me, I understand that there were words of commendation to the churches. But that's not, that's not where I desire to go this evening because I'd like to show you something. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Excuse me. Were those words of commendation? <clears throat> Verse 16, chapter 2. Repent, or else I will come unto, quick, unto thee quickly and fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. <coughs> Excuse me. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. 
Behold, I will cast her into the bed, a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. And chapter 3 and verse 3. Remember therefore from whence thou art, excuse me, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know the hour that I come upon thee. And verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. In verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Discipline is of God. Now, I understand that we can look at this passage of Scripture and we can say that it is an appeal of Jesus Christ for the church to repent. And it is. But Jesus also says, if you do not repent, if you do not repent, I will take further action to the point of expulsion. Divine discipline. I would like to also read verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and what? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. I stand at the door and knock. The word picture here is Jesus is on one side of the door. Brothers and sisters, I would ask you tonight, who is on the other side of the door? Who is it that's on the other side of the door? Is it the unbeliever? Is it the sinner who's never come to Jesus Christ? Is it the wicked? Is it the heathen? Now, while that word picture may apply to all of them, in contextually, brethren, you know that that is not who Jesus is speaking about. When he says, I stand at the door and knock, he's speaking to the church of Jesus Christ. I stand at the door and I knock. 
And Jesus Christ would like entrance into every church that's represented here tonight. And my friends, I fear that we deceive ourselves if we think that somehow we are not like the description that Jesus gives of these churches. That somehow we are outside of that, you know, we are better than that. That is not us. My friends, tonight is all well in Southeastern Conference. Or is Jesus standing at the door and knocking? And he would love for you to open the door and allow him to give, come in and give you his life-giving presence. You see, it's not an unbeliever that's on the other side of that door. In fact, the last verse he says again for the seventh time, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to the church and he desires corrective measures, remedial measures within the church of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I want to be... Uh, I'm not sure how I should say it. A negative preacher. And I thank God for his work among our people. But my friends, on the other hand, I cannot say that all is well in the church of Jesus Christ. And you know what that means? Jesus is standing at our church door And you may say tonight, you may say tonight that I have labored tenaciously in the kingdom of God and I have not grown weary. But Jesus responds and says, but you've left your first love. And you can say tonight, I've maintained faith. I've been faithful. And Jesus stands at your church door and says, yes, but I see that you also tolerate deviant doctrines. And my friends, the plague of Western Christendom, mediocrity and complacency, And Jesus said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I cannot tolerate that. I will not tolerate that. Jesus said seven times, he that hath an ear, let him hear. My friends, are we so blind that we do not, we are unaware of the needs among us? And are we so deaf that we do not hear the knocking of the Lord Almighty at our church door, begging for entrance to remedy and correct our problems?
rightful church discipline is entering into discipline with God. We said discipline is divine, right? Discipline is of God. Rightful church discipline is entering into discipline with God. This past year in our congregation, and I know that I should probably be a little careful what I say because of all the ways that messages can be spread and so on, but I'm going to say this nonetheless. In our congregation in the past year, there were some information came to the surface that we had been unaware of regarding one brother in our congregation. And because it was, the information came from family. I mean, in, in my estimation, you handle things a bit differently if it comes from within a family than you do if it's brother-to-brother -brother situation. And so we as a ministry met. We discussed a plan, procedure, how we were going to endeavor to address this situation. <clears throat> and I'm not sure if we had our, we had it totally formulated, but we had discussed it and we were in the process of formulating, at least in the process of formulating a plan to address this issue in our congregation. And I was, one Sunday I was serving in another congregation and as I was traveling home that afternoon, one of my fellow pastors called me. And he said, I guess he'd been impressed to give an invitation that Sunday morning. This was only, this was a matter of, I believe, several days after we had met as a ministry. He had been impressed to give an invitation that Sunday morning, and this brother responded. And he was genuinely broken and contrite for his sin. And he was open. He acknowledged it. And one of the things that brother said is that two weeks prior to this, the Spirit of God had come upon him and convicted him mightily of his sin. And by the way, in our day and age, I know our minds tend to go to sensual sins. This was not a sensual sin. And his response to the invitation that my pastor brother gave was a follow-through of the conviction of the Spirit of God on the life. And he made restitution with his family. My friends, tonight I rejoice and I bless God and I thank God 
And my preference would be that all situations that the church comes is confronted with would end that way. But I, and I don't want to glorify anything in Traverse City, but I, I, to me it was a beautiful picture of the church of Jesus Christ assuming responsibility, what their responsibility, what their biblical responsibility was to do in a situation like this. And all the time, God, the God of the universe, is working behind the scenes and convicting this brother of his sins. And we never, well, yes, we all met with him but we did not meet with him in the way that we had intended to meet with him initially because the Spirit of God was at work. But let me tell you something this evening. My preference is that it always works out that way. However, may we never minimize the fact that the Spirit of God and Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, is calling men and women to repentance and to correction and to change of course through the church. It is not only, and I'm not sure, but tomorrow evening I may talk about some false paradigms. I, I'm not but my friends, that, that is one of them. The, the concept that somehow, you know, it is me and God and, 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 but if we understand church discipline and the directive for church discipline correctly, then we must conclude that it is God's design, it is a divine design that God, used, God by the Spirit is working through a people to call men and women to repentance. Just as Jesus Christ called the churches to repentance and individuals in the church. <coughs> Rightful church discipline is entering into discipline with God. It is God who has given directives, the biblical directives in the church. And by the way, they are directives. They are not suggestions. Is that right? God did not suggest that this is probably maybe a good way to do things. He said, go do it. It is God that has given the directives to the church as to the process and to the procedure of church discipline. And I'm not going to. Forgive me if you intended to come tonight and I was going to say you do step. There's, there are six steps in a discipline process. One, two, three, four, five, six. Matthew chapter 18, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 7, Galatians 6, 1 Thessalonians 5, Romans 16. Go look them up and read them.
If we are going to enter into discipline with God, it is imperative that we agree with God. I was stirred and impressed recently with the account in number 16. What happened in number 16? Koradathan and Abiram. What happened to them? But that's not all that happened. <clears throat> so, the earth opened her mouth, and Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and all that pertained to them, their wives, their children, their entire families, everything they had, including their tents, all went down in the ground, and the earth covered back over. I don't know how that happened. You know, yeah, I do know how it happened. I know why it happened. Let's put it that way. <clears throat> how many of you understand and know this evening that that was an act of God? Are, are you persuaded of that? Do you know that that was God? But that's not all that happened. The who's who in the children of Israel 250 of the most prominent men in Israel were there with censers, right? And a fire went out from the Lord and consumed every one of them. So Koradathan and Abiram and these 250 prominent men and the children of Israel, they were consumed by God. Uh, do we understand this evening that that was a judgment of God against them? like Moses said. He said, get away from these sinners. But the most tragic, in my mind, the most tragic event that occurred in number 16 was not what happened to Koradathan and Abiram or that happened to the 250 men. It's what happened the next morning. And do you know what happened the next morning? Okay, what, say that again. But why were they killed? There was a plague that went, for, went out. The next day, so we had 250, and however many pertained to Koradathan and Abiram died the first day. The second day, 14,700 men, 700 people died. Because the whole congregation rose up against Moses and against Aaron and they said, why have you killed the people of God? My friends, how can we get it so wrong? How is it possible that we get it so wrong that we are willing to attribute to the leaders of the congregation, whatever, the direct acts of God. My friends, if we are going to be enter into discipline with 
God. It is imperative that we agree with God. It is God who sets the standard for sin, right? It is God that sets the standard for what is right and wrong. And a church of Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ should be sensitive to the spirit of God moving among them to where they understand what the heart of God is. When Jesus is at the door knocking, he's knocking. Do you think he wants to impart some information to us as to what's taking place in our congregations? is the responsibility of the entire congregation. Oh, my friends, God help us. But I fear far, far, far too often when a church comes to the place under the direction of God that a discipline needs to be administered, particularly excommunication, there are some in the brotherhood that choose to sympathize with the offender. Jesus was talking to the church. And one of the things that I will tell you <clears throat> is I understand, I understand, well, let me put it this way, this is my understanding. And I will not, I will not, I mean, I will allow you to disagree with me. But the messages of Jesus Christ to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 are directed first of all to whom? The leaders. First and foremost to the leaders. However, you cannot, I, did, I do not think that you can read this properly without understanding that it is also a message to the entirety of the body. Because he ends by saying, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Are you ever plagued with this concept in Virginia? That, you know, I'll do my thing and you do yours, and we, we'll just kind of let each other go. Don't bother me, and I won't bother you. Is, is that how we function? My dear friends this evening, we had better wake up. Do not begin to assume that the difficulties in your congregation or the sin in your congregation or whatever the issues are in your congregation 
are not your responsibility and that they do not impact you. What did the Apostle Paul say? My friends, wake up! A little leaven leaveneth the what? The whole lump. And he said, purge out therefore that old leaven. Don't begin to assume that I can go about my business and the other things that are happening in my congregation are not my responsibility and it's not going to impact me. And I would ask you this evening, is God's view corporate or individual? Is God's view of churches corporate or individual? Well, obviously I said churches. <laughs> and without doubt, you know, I, I bless God for his work in my life personally. And I'm an individual. I understand that. But too often we lose the concept of the corporate that God is interested in working through a people, not just individuals. And in fact, we lose the full dynamic of the work of God among us when we only think individually and we do not think corporately. In Joshua 7, when Israel fell or were defeated at Ai, And Joshua's down on his face. He's crying. What's wrong? What did God tell him? Get up. He said, Israel has sinned. He didn't say Achan has sinned. He said, Israel has sinned. And that sin impacted the entire nation of Israel. And the entire nation of Israel went out and they administered discipline to Achan. <clears throat> and I could, I could go to Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul, and I'll just, I'll just say this much of it. Paul's speaking of sin. He says, let it not once be named among you. Why do you think Paul said that? In part, sin is infectious. And there's a sense when the door is open, the door is open. And I don't want to, I don't want to. I don't want to somehow suggest that you are not secure in your redemption through Jesus Christ when one of your brothers sins. I'm not about to suggest that. But my friends, sin is infectious. And you know what? The only way to, the only way there is, in my estimation at least, to shut that door again is what? Church discipline. Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, you have proved yourself clear in this matter. In other words, it's over, it's gone, it's behind you. The door is closed again. 
Number four. Discipline begins with the brotherly address. And I'm going to read Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Some things I would say here at the onset. And my point is, discipline begins with the brotherly address. Number one, and I could, I can, could take you to scripture, and I don't think I'm going to do that. I've taken enough time almost. I could take you to other scriptures. The brotherly address is not only for the time that your brother sins against you. But when you have a concern in relation to your brother, my friends, if we would only, I wonder how much heartache and disappointment and hurt could be avoided in the church of Jesus Christ if God's people would rise up and do what God says and go and address their brother or sister. When I was a young man, and I, I was married, I was probably in my mid-twenties, there was an issue came up in our congregation that stirred me up. Do you ever get stirred up? It stirred me up. And there were other people that were stirred up. But I was also a child of God. And I knew what the Bible said about going to your brother. And I went and talked to my pastor. My friends tonight, that one, as I look back on my life, that one act of obedience on my part significantly impacted the trajectory of my life. And I say that in part because I was not the only one that was stirred up. But I suspect I was about the only one that went in a brotherly way and addressed the situation. And I know where some of the others are. You see, and I could, I'd, 
I wonder how many of you have been prompted by the Spirit to go and talk to your brother, speak to him. You know what? God may have a lesson for you to learn as well as you ministering to the brother you're going to. Very recently, there was a situation, this was not in our congregation, but there was a situation of strained relationships that kind of came out like this. I can't trust you. Well, why can't you trust me? Because you tell white lies. Well, when did I tell a white lie? And so he, he gave one, in, this man gave one in, incident of when he, in his mind, it was a white lie. And he said, you know, I think part of the issue of trust was because why didn't the Spirit of God convict you of that? If you're a spiritual man, why didn't the Spirit of God convict you of that? May I tell you something else? How much better of an outcome would it have been if the Spirit of God had convicted the brother that was speaking when the incident happened, instead of bringing, up it, bringing it up a long time later as evidence of what he was talking about? If the Spirit of God had convicted that man to use the biblical principle of going to your brother and addressing the situation, and had he gone in love and concern and compassion for his brother, probably instead of trust being broken, trust would have been gained. I, by nature, am an introvert. <laughs> One of the things that has, and I just, this is kind of an aside, but one of the things that has amazed me, or I've, I've just, I guess, taken note of, and it kind of amazes me, is how many introverts God calls into the, into the ministry. But I tell you that because for an, for an introvert, I know something of the struggle to go and confront something at someone else. Do you, do, you, are you, are, do you know what I'm talking about? Brethren, I do, not, I do not begin to tell you this evening, and sisters, I do not begin to tell you this evening that this work is easy. But my friends, if we are going to be biblical, it is imperative that we Act biblically. And how much better would it be for our congregations if there was more communication on a level of love and concern and compassion for each other? 
Jesus never said that the work of the kingdom would be easy. But my friends, may we engage in that work to the glory of God. The Lord bless you.